0: It's Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Gamley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Let's get into this week's top headlines. New Hampshire will hold this 2024 presidential primary on January 23rd to find the Democratic National Committee's plan to have the state vote later in the primary calendar next year. Ethan DeWitt from New Hampshire Bulletin and Stephen Porter from the Boston Globe. Join me now to talk about the latest with what will apparently still be the first in the nation primary. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. So, Secretary of State David Scanlon uh, announcing the primary date earlier this week. Ethan, I want to start with you. What did he have to say at the press conference?
1: Sure. So, as you noted, he has once again picked a date that would put us ahead of other primaries or similar contests. And so we noted that that is what he is required to do as Secretary of State under law, uh, and it does put us ahead. Uh, New Hampshire ahead of the Democratic primary in South Carolina on February 3rd and the Republican caucus in Nevada on February 8th. Um, but Scanlon also took the opportunity to talk up New Hampshire's role and criticize the effort by National Democrats to change that order. Uh, the Democratic National Committee voted earlier this year to try to put South Carolina first and uh, see if New Hampshire would go second with Nevada. Uh, and Scanlon said that the that You know, First of all, he was barred by law from allowing that to happen, but that he believed that New Hampshire should stay first, uh, that the tradition of New Hampshire being a small state where upstart candidates can prove themselves and be tested, that that should continue. And he also criticized the argument that New Hampshire should not vote first because of New Hampshire's relative lack of diversity compared to the rest of the country. He said that that doesn't matter. And he said that at stake is who gets to nominate the party, elites on a national party committee, Or the voters, so he really kind of positioned it as uh, standing up for a a tradition, even as uh, many in the rest of the country are looking to move beyond it.
0: Yeah, and essentially saying that you know there's no representative state in in the union.
1: Yeah, and well, he he was just sort of he brought that argument up to kind of discount it and say that that is not why New Hampshire should be first. It shouldn't be an argument about diversity, that it should be about New Hampshire's historical role. Um, And of course, that's been a a long debate, particularly on the Democratic side.
0: Sure. Yeah. And Stephen, what does this mean for the Democratic primary in New Hampshire then, since the the state is is going against the DNC's wishes? What's going to happen here?
2: Well, the biggest factor is whose name will be on the ballot or not on the ballot. Secretary Scanlon held up a a sample ballot at his press conference this week, one for each party. There were 24 names on the Republican ballot and 21 names on the Democratic ballot, and none of them say President Biden. Uh, Remember, President Biden is the one who urged the DNC to push South Carolina ahead of New Hampshire in the 2024 lineup. So It would have looked a little funny for him to then turn around and compete as a declared candidate in the contest that he snubbed. There we go. He is skipping. Uh, The two Democratic challengers worth mentioning at this stage are author Marianne Williamson, who has been campaigning in New Hampshire, and Representative Dean Phillips from Minnesota, who announced his candidacy in Concord with a big press event on the final day of the filing period. Uh, But President Biden will will not be on the Democratic primary ballot here.
0: I mean, what, what is, you know, the leading candidate in the primary, the incumbent president, not on the
1: ballot. Ethan, how much of a difference
0: could New Hampshire's rogue primary make then in a race as a whole?
1: Uh, it depends who you ask. Republicans like Governor Chris Sununu are certainly making the argument that this is going to backfire on Democrats, that New Hampshire Democrats and independent voters who might lean Democratic are going to punish the Democratic Party for the for national uh committee's decision to reshuffle which did come from the president this is a, a an idea that president biden had and really pushed for at the end of the last year so the you know republicans are saying this is this is going to be bad uh, democrats have in the state um have bristled and criticized this decision but at the same time many of them are launching and supporting a write-in campaign for biden to win anyways uh, arguing that their beef is not with the president himself but with the, the the committee and that they still would like to demonstrate that New Hampshire can elect uh, the incumbent president and, and, you know, that New Hampshire Democrats will do that. So you have a little bit of a disconnect between, uh, you know, what the president is doing or not doing, as in he's not campaigning here, and what uh, some Democrats in the state are going to try to get voters to do, which is to vote for him anyways by writing his name in. Uh, and th- But then you also have some Democrats who are are critical of this. Uh, I talked to Jim Splane, the Democratic lawmaker, former lawmaker, who actually wrote the 1975 law that requires that New Hampshire uh, set its primary before any others. And he has been critical of Democrats for moving ahead with this writing campaign. He thinks they should move beyond Biden, and he's been critical of Biden as well. And he thinks that if the president does not achieve a majority because the writing campaign falls short, it'll be a similar uh, result as when President Lyndon Johnson in 1968 won just 50% of the vote. He was the incumbent president, but his write-in campaign only got to the 50% line, and Eugene McCarthy upstaged him with Mm a 42% second-place finish. So some Democrats are are wary of this write-in effort.
0: And we should point out, too, that uh, Joe Biden did do all that well in the last primary.
1: Right. And yeah. so there's some question as to where New Hampshire Democrats go from here. And, and I, the mm-hmm. Democrats that I've talked to who support the Biden campaign say that they need to keep, they want to keep the energy going through November. So they're kind of holding their nose in, uh, in some ways uh, and yeah. getting over this primary shuffle by supporting the president anyway so that they can carry that forward to the general election.
0: Yeah, uh, Stephen, just, uh, just briefly, the state could face some sanctions for going against the calendar set by the DNC. What would that look like?
2: yeah that's really up for the DNC to decide at this point. So New Hampshire could lose recognition for its delegates at the the DNC convention, and there's also the possibility of the National Party chair taking other, quote, appropriate steps. So theoretically, the National Democrats could try and make an example of New Hampshire, or they could try to kind of let this fizzle away. So so it's really up to the DNC to decide.
0: All right, we'll be watching. Now House lawmakers are putting together a new proposal to amend the state's bail reform law. There's been a lot of back and forth on how to amend that law since it first passed in 2018. Ethan, can you remind us of the original intent of the bail reform law?
1: Yeah, so the 2018 bail reform law was meant to reduce the number of people who are held in jail before they reach trial um, and are held only because they don't have enough money to, to post bail. And so the, the 2018 law essentially uh, required bail commissioners and judges to assess if a person is a danger to the community or themselves before granting bail and if they are not a danger to the community or themselves to release them.
0: And why have lawmakers been dissatisfied with those changes that were made to, to the bail system? The original bill passed with bipartisan support.
1: Yeah, it did pass with bipartisan support. It had um, the top Republicans and Democrats in the legislature and the governor behind it. Um, what's happened in the years past is you've had a lot of uh, police departments who have complained that the law has allowed people to be released too quickly, that there are sort of repeat offenders who will be released and then kind of reoffend. And you have defenders of the law saying that crime rates are actually not risen have actually dropped in, in a lot of categories in the state over the years and that it's an overblown problem. But whatever the reality, it is certainly something that has vexed police departments and has got some Republican lawmakers saying that the law needs to be tightened, needs to be pared back, that the 2018 reform needs to be uh, reversed a little bit. Do we have any new data
0: on this, Ethan? Do we know, is there any new information that's that's uh, come through from the state over the last year or so?
1: We have asked, uh, reporters uh, have asked the, the state, the governor, repeatedly for or stats that might demonstrate in either direction, kind of whether more people are being released because of the bail reform. Uh, the state has not been able to produce those numbers. So it's it kind of becomes a little bit of a Rorschach uh, in the debate. But it comes as nationally, Republicans have started to focus more on crime. Uh, and so you see it appearing in a lot of campaigns, including in the gubernatorial race next year. Okay, so what are lawmakers proposing now? Well, so there's been a big football between the Senate and the House this year, which are both Republican-controlled, but both have very different visions. The Senate would like to really kind of pare back a lot of the the bail reform law. The House is a lot more skeptical. You have some, uh, you know, sort of libertarian-minded Republicans who aren't going to go for a full-scale um, pullback. So this week, we saw how the House... Democrats and Republicans on a key committee come together behind a proposal that would meet the Senate part of the way uh, by essentially making some of uh, a number of violent offenses automatically uh, deny your initial bail meaning that you would wait for a judge. So you'd probably wait one or two days uh, if you couldn't see a judge immediately. Under the current system, you can see a bail commissioner. Under this proposal, if you were charged with a number of violent offenses, you would have to wait until the next time you could see a judge. And they've also uh, proposed a number of other sweeping changes to the law. And we'll have to see if the Senate goes with that because the Senate has been uh, very skeptical of the House's efforts. They would like a much bigger bail reform back. Yeah, we'll have to watch that. Now, the state Supreme Court heard oral
0: arguments in a case this week over whether a former Claremont police officer's disciplinary records should be made public. Stephen, uh, let's turn to you. Who is this officer and how did this case come about?
2: So Jonathan Stone was a police officer in Claremont until about 2006. He reached some sort of agreement with the city. Um, and as part of that de- deal, he resigned and the city listed um, no findings of wrongdoing in his file. Um, So Stone, by the way, now serves in the New Hampshire House of Representatives. He's on the House Criminal Justice and Public Safety Committee, and he's also been serving on the City Council uh, in Claremont. So what changed was the New Hampshire Supreme Court issued a couple of decisions in 2020 that narrowed the scope of the information that police departments can keep from public view. So after that happened, a reporter went and requested Stone's records. And stone turned around and sued the city to to block the release of those records. So that's really how uh, we wound up in in court with this matter.
0: But what's Stone's argument for keeping those records private?
2: So his attorney argues in essence that the city is bound by that two thousand and six agreement and can't just decide now to release records that it had agreed to purge from his file. Um the attorney also points out to points to that change in 2020 with the New Hampshire Supreme Court. Uh, suggesting that the 2006 agreement came before that and so there were certain assumptions built into that that should be taken into account. Um, and then lastly, even if these records are releasable, there's still uh, uh, supposed to be a balancing test that looks at the public's interest and compares that to any privacy interests that someone like officer or former officer Stone might raise and then determines based on that balancing uh, you, you know what should happen next. Yeah, what does
0: the state's current right to no law say about access to to police personal records?
2: So there's this this misconception that that I've run into frequently here uh, in New Hampshire when it comes to these police personnel records, and that's that police departments often think that if it's a personnel record, then it's exempt from disclosure under the right to know law, which is just not the case. So there is uh, an exemption for internal personnel practices, but the Supreme Court ruled back in 2020 that that exemption narrowly covers certain records so so it has more to do with rules and practices governing the agency rather than individual employees so there are provisions that that, that grant some uh, or recognize some some privacy rights for individuals But it's not this umbrella of open. It's a personal record. Therefore, it's it's non-public. So the state of the law these days involves a, a lot of back and forth when requesting information from these public agencies. Okay.
0: so the Supreme Court has heard the arguments. We'll see what happens in there. When are we expecting a ruling on that?
2: I'm not sure. It usually takes uh, a while for for the Supreme Court to issue its decision. So we'll just kind of be watching for that. Watch and wait.
0: Yeah. We've got uh, Ethan DeWitt and Stephen Porter in the studio this morning. Ethan DeWitt, reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin. Stephen Porter reporting for the Boston Globe. Thank you both for your time this morning. You can find more of their work at NewHampshireBulletin.com and BostonGlobe.com New NewHampshire. And by the way, if you missed part of today's segment or if you want to catch up on previous week's New Hampshire News Recap, you will find the New Hampshire News Recap wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. We're here next Friday with more top headlines, or I should say we're off next Friday because the holiday will be back in two weeks with another recap. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is NHPR.